Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. So, Nikki, before we launch into this episode, which I'm really looking forward to because (laughs) we are going to share some of the comments and questions that we've gotten lately, both on our YouTube channel and by email, because there have been a lot of questions that have come in lately and comments about us. So, we're going to share a few and just bring you in to what we're experiencing behind the scenes. <laughs> but before we do, I want to remind you all that you can contact us by writing to formeradventist at gmail.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts, we'd love it if you could rate our podcast, give us a five-star review, and write a review for us if you would like to, because this actually helps our podcast to populate and to become more accessible to people who are searching for things involving Adventism. Also, if you watch us on YouTube, um, you can like and subscribe, and all of these things help to make our podcast more accessible. So also don't forget to go to proclamationmagazine.com. You can find there links to all of our online resources, including a donate button where you can donate to Life Assurance Ministries to help keep this podcast being produced, as well as all of our other materials. So now, Nikki, let's turn to the comments section of our YouTube channel and to our email and share some things. Okay. Now, the first thing I wanted to share is a comment that I got in an email actually just yesterday. And this is from a person that actually helps us by proofreading some of our stuff. And she said she had been listening to podcast number 123 on the Heavenly Sanctuary. Now, apparently, Nikki read a quote from Ellen White about Jesus entering the most holy place. We didn't know where the idea came from that Jesus went to the wedding feast without the bride. And this writer said she found the quote where this is explained. And you know, have you noticed, Nikki, that whenever we go to Ellen White to try to find where she said certain things, it's all kind of random and diffuse. And there'll be one source that has a certain part of the idea and another source that has another part of the idea. And you sort of have to put all of these random quotes together to get the full picture. I think that's one reason people don't understand everything she really said. Yeah. And some of it's just oral tradition, you know, family members who did read Ellen White telling us what quote, we believe, and then we carry it with us thinking it's truth. Or even early Sabbath school teachers who told us what we believe. You know, it's really kind of funny when you think about it, kind of horrifying too. I was in kindergarten Sabbath school, which is what, five years old-ish? And I remember having a Sabbath school teacher. I remember her having red hair. I even remember her name. She's long gone, I'm sure. But I remember her saying, Boys and girls, when you do something wrong, it is not enough that you confess to Jesus. You have to confess to your parents, too. And I remember being so guilt-ridden by that, that it just terrified me. And I really believed her. Well, here is what our writer sent in. This is Ellen White in the first volume of Spiritual Gifts, page 157. (laughs) I find this almost funny. I saw that while Jesus was in the most holy place, he would be married to the new Jerusalem. And after his work should be accomplished in the holiest, he would descend to earth in kingly power and take the precious ones to himself who had patiently waited his return. 
And this woman concluded, and there you have it. The bride of Christ is not the church. It is the holy city. Just one more bit of nuttiness from her. That is wild. Isn't that crazy? Now, yes, the new Jerusalem is described as the bride coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride in Revelation 21. But it's also clear that God is saying these are his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and he will be their God. And we know that Jesus, our Savior, who is our head, is not going to marry buildings. (laughs) No, he's not. And if our understanding of Revelation is accurate, the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ will be with him when he comes with the new Jerusalem to the earth. That's how we understand it, yes. So there's so much craziness with this, but just in case anybody wondered how Ellen could say that he was in heaven without the bride, this is how the new Jerusalem was the bride. Don't ask me exactly how she was defining the new Jerusalem at this point, because Jesus went to heaven at his ascension, and he went into the holy place to start the investigative judgment in 1844. So there's a lot of confusion in my mind about this. Well, we did learn last week that the new Jerusalem is in the belt of Orion. Ooh, that's true. You know, we really did have a mishmash, didn't we, Nikki? We sure did. Our worldview was a little crazy. No wonder we felt crazy. And no wonder we felt like brighter minds than ours had to figure it out and just let us know what we were supposed to understand. And meanwhile, pass the soy meat. Yes, yes. And in that context, evangelize. And that takes us to our next question. This person wrote in, who has never been an Adventist, and wrote, my sister-in-law is a seasoned SDA. A while back, she casually mentioned sheep rustling and described it as luring Christians away from non-Adventist churches. Could you possibly elaborate on that? (laughs) Yes, I answered this person by explaining that from the beginning of Adventism, the primary target for evangelizing, or I would rather use the word proselytizing, Mm -hmm. within Adventism is people who are already Christians. Well, that's the easiest place to start because they claim to believe the Ten Commandments. Why don't you keep the fourth? Boom, you got them. And you know, it's also a fact that Adventists have historically targeted, as I said, targeted Christians, gone into debates with their pastors to try to win public debates on the Sabbath. You take Adventism out of North America, where it started, and you move it into the continent of Africa, where the culture is very different. And there is another phenomenon going on there that's an extension of this very problem, this sheep rustling problem. Our friend Paul Carden, who is the executive director for the Centers for Apologetics Research, has a branch of his ministry in Africa, in Uganda. And the director there has told him that they have this huge problem among the Christians who are going out and doing door-to-door evangelism, which apparently they do with some rather good success in that culture. He said that they will go, they will visit the people in their homes and present the gospel. And they will get people who are actually responsive to the gospel. And literally, not figuratively, literally minutes later, Adventist missionaries who have followed them down the street, knock on the same door and come in and present the rest of the story, the Sabbath. And they steal the sheep. Isn't that what Jesus said would happen? He did. And Paul. Yeah. 
So it's a real thing. I find it fascinating that this particular Adventist woman called it sheep rustling, admitting that it was going on. Don't you read this question, Nikki, and kind of think, well, there's an Adventist who isn't completely happy with Adventist tradition. Yeah, or possibly who is prideful. Well, that's also true. You know, the other thing that I think goes along with this is an admonition to Christian churches who are renting their space from Seventh-day Adventists because the goal is to get your sheep. That's really true. And you are meeting in buildings that have that purpose in mind to get your sheep. And that literature is everywhere. Yes. I know somebody who meets on Sunday in an Adventist church and has talked to us on occasion about that literature, knowing it's false, but there it is in the narthex waiting for the people to come in and, you know, unsuspecting people. I just have a real problem. Besides, when a Christian church rents space from an Adventist church, make no mistake, that money is welcomed by the Adventists and pays the rent. So they can have their own church budget for other things that they want to do, programs, experiences, improvements, whatever. But that money pays for the Adventist church. Either to keep its members in and insulated from the gospel that you have, or to fund outreach to your sheep. That's right. Well, we have another question here. This is a question that we actually get relatively frequently, actually. And it's about that phrase, once saved, always saved. Now, I admit, I don't like the phrase either. I have my old triggers from Adventism when I hear once saved, always saved. But this person wrote in and said, is it true that the gospel is only to those who accept once saved, always saved, so that the majority of Christian denominations are false and of the devil? Well, here's what I want to say. The gospel is for all humanity. Salvation is for those who believe the gospel. The object of our faith is what saves us, not the nature of it. And so when we place our faith in Christ, we are just at the beginning of learning more and more about Him, about what He's done, who He is, who we are, what we're to do. We begin at that point to walk in the works that He prepared in advance for us to do. And so we are ever growing in our understanding of all things Scripture. That's right. And especially for those of us who come out of Adventism, it might take some time to understand that once we truly are born again, once the Holy Spirit seals us and we are regenerated, we cannot be lost. Jesus said, all who the Father draws come to me and I lose none of them. And that is something that believers will sometimes summarize as once saved, always saved. Now that's not once you decide. That's right. You're always saved. That's once you're born again. Once you are a new creation in Christ, kept by His Spirit, you are forever kept by Him. That doesn't mean we don't wander. It doesn't mean He doesn't discipline those He loves. We even have examples in Scripture of those who have fallen asleep because they were disobedient to Christ. But He keeps His. 
He keeps his people and we can have that security. And then it is also called the security of the believer. We did a podcast on this. It's podcast episode number 21. This was early on in this podcast and it's called, Can We Lose Our Salvation? And I think we go through some of the passages of scripture, not only that support the doctrine of security, but also that help explain what some of those confusing passages are about related to the parable of the seeds and some of the other warnings given to the churches. That's right. So I kind of like the next one. (laughs) Okay. This person wrote, Colleen Tinker, why do you hate the Ten Commandments? What's wrong with your not to steal, covet, use the Lord's name in vain, have no other gods? We know the only one of the Ten Commandments that has been nailed to the cross is the Sabbath. All other nine are still intact. What other parts of the Bible do you hate? <laughs> Sorry for, for the snark, but, but really. <laughs> well, let me say this. I do not hate the Ten Commandments. They are part of God's Word, part of His revelation. He gave them to Israel as He promised He would when He said to Abraham that His descendants would come 400 years later. He would make them a nation, and He did, and He brought them into the land under the authority of the covenant He made at Mount Sinai. And the words of the covenant were the Ten Commandments. These were profound words. Mm-hmm. And they identified his commitment to bless Israel. And their response was, if they would keep those commandments and all the other 600 plus commandments that were included in the law, if they kept them, God would bless them. I want to make it very clear that the whole Mosaic law, of which the Ten Commandments were the very words like the abstract of it, and all the rest of the commandments explained how to keep and do and live under the Ten, that whole law was temporary. It was given, as Galatians 3 explains, 430 years after Abraham, and it was going to last until the seed would come. Jesus was that seed. Jesus came in Matthew 5 and said, I did not come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Now, that's a proof text for Adventists, right? But when he said that, he meant the whole law, not just the 10, but all 600 and some laws. Jesus came and lived out the righteousness of God that the Ten Commandments witnessed to, and that is Romans 3.21. Now a righteousness from God has been revealed apart from the law, which the law and the prophets testified. So, Jesus came, fulfilled the law. He broke the curse of sin. He fulfilled the death penalty of the law on our behalf. He broke that curse. He rose from death. And now we answer to him and he instituted a new covenant in his blood. Now, here's the thing. The Ten Commandments are not bad things. They're representations of the kind of morality God expects of his people. But that morality did not originate in the law. That morality flows out of God himself. There was morality on earth before he gave the law. Abraham believed God. Enoch walked with God. Noah obeyed God. Job understood and trusted God. All of these people, and many we don't know the names of, 
honored God because God is righteous and God revealed himself to them. So now we're not under the 10. We're not even under the nine. We are under a new covenant where we answer directly to the lawgiver himself. We're not under a less demanding set of moral expectations. The New Testament has far more commands for believers than the law did for Israel. We have a much higher standard now. God himself. No, I don't hate the Ten Commandments. It exists there in God's Word to show us that Jesus is who he said he was. He kept it. He fulfilled it. The law, the Ten Commandments are wonderful, but they had a purpose. And that purpose is over, and they are now a shadow that we look back at that point forward to the Jesus we know and prove that he is the one who fulfilled it. If you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you should understand that we love all of Scripture. We love all of God's Word. And we don't cut out parts of the Bible that we don't like. We don't say, oh, it's done, so now you don't need it. In fact, we point to the Mosaic Law a lot to talk about the New Covenant like you just did and to talk about the Gospel. We hear in the New Testament in Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching. But we also know that we have to use the law lawfully. We don't get to use it unlawfully like the Judaizers of Galatians did, which is what the Adventists do. And that's why we speak so clearly and consistently about the fact that the Ten Commandments are the words of the Mosaic Covenant, and they have been fulfilled or filled up with meaning in Christ. So kind of connected to the Ten Commandments, at least for the Seventh-day Adventist, is the issue of the Sabbath. And one person wrote, the Sabbath was never done away with, although it should never be pushed as a salvation issue. Trust in Christ and love Him to keep His commandments is what the Sabbath is. Also, it was to mark the glorious creation of God with His biblical cosmology, which has been perverted. This is a person's opinion. This is not taught in the Word of God. If you want to understand the purpose of the Sabbath in the life of the believer, you need to go to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. The Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible explains itself. The Bible teaches us about the covenants, and we learn in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, and we learn in Hebrews 3 and 4, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is the substance that that shadow pointed to. When we rest from our works for salvation, we are placed in Christ and we rest in the rest of God that he has because he has ceased from his work. That is so true, Nikki. And another thing that really bothers me about this that I think every Adventist learns, this is not bagging on this writer because every Adventist learns this. But this part of his question that said, it was to mark the glorious creation of God with its biblical cosmology, which has been perverted. They take that idea out of Exodus 20, 8 to 11, where it says, for in six days, God made heaven and earth and rested on the seventh day. Then they say the Sabbath was made at creation. Well, number one, Genesis never tells us that the Sabbath was made. It only tells us that when God finished creation on that seventh day, there was no further creation happening. He rested. And the word for that is ceased. Nothing came into being on the seventh day. 
God rested. He ceased from making his perfect creation. Now, the fourth commandment in Exodus does not say that the Sabbath is a memorial of creation. That is an invented idea. If you go forward into Deuteronomy 5, where the covenant is reiterated for the children of Israel who had been in the wilderness before they go into the land, Moses restates all 10 of the commandments. But in this iteration of the commandments, he doesn't say, for in six days the Lord created heaven and earth. He says, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy because God delivered you out of Egypt. It doesn't even mention creation. So what are we saying here? What is the Sabbath really about? In both cases, where it says, for in six days God created, or where it says, for the Lord God delivered you out of Egypt, the Sabbath is being commanded to Israel as a reminder of God the one who cared for them, the one who rescued them. In Exodus, it's reminding them that God is sovereign. God created all things. God made them. God ceased and finished his perfect work on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, he rested because his work was done. When Jesus came and hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he was finishing his perfect work of salvation. So the Sabbath was a shadow that pointed backwards to God, the one who finished his perfect work after six days of creation. It pointed back to God who finished his work of rescue from slavery in Egypt. And it pointed forward to Jesus who finished his perfect work of salvation, and rescued all believers from the slavery to sin. And a part of that was the creation of the church, this new creation in him. So the creation at the beginning of the world was the creation that became the old creation in Adam. And the pointing forward to Jesus is the new creation in Christ. So no, the Sabbath has never been a memorial of creation. And I just want to point that out. It's very important because that makes Sabbath a symbol of the created order, and it's not. It was always a shadow of God Almighty and His perfect provision and work and salvation and creation of life and the new life that we have now. And also this person said that keeping the Sabbath is how we love Christ and how we obey His commandments. The truth is, believing Him and trusting Him is how we love Christ and obey His commandments. That's the truth. That's the bottom line. There is one command for all people who have not been born again, and that is to believe Jesus. Once we believe Jesus, all the instructions in the New Testament become ours to learn and follow through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. But God Himself is the one we are to believe and we are to believe the Son and find life in Him. So this last one is actually related to our understanding of Daniel in the 70 weeks. This writer said, Your strange Israel obsession will cause you to drift off into outer darkness. (laughs) He went on to teach his interpretation of Daniel 9, and he ended with, But you are so blindly obsessed with Israel, who has such vicious hatred for Christ to this day. You would not heed the words of the anointed one of God, the Father. So would you like to speak to our obsession with Israel, Colleen? (laughs) 
It's not Israel that we're focused on. It's God's Word. And Nikki, I have been blown away with the meaning of the words. When I see that there is a context, that there is a first audience, that the words meant something to the first audience, and I have to know what that is before I try to apply it to myself, the Bible becomes a new book. The words mean what the words say. Context is everything. I wouldn't read a science book by trying to reinterpret it to fit what I know of cosmology, for example, because I know nothing, (laughs) only what I can see with my bare eyes out the window, basically. But when I read the words, I have to believe that the words mean something and they teach me. What would you say about our strange obsession to Israel, Nikki? Well, I would say to an Adventist that I understand how you got there because it was kind of wild to me when I left Adventism to think that Israel had any part in anything that was going on. But like you said, this is the testimony of Scripture. And the thing is, as we read Scripture the way you described, we learn so much more about God. Yeah. The way God deals with Israel tells us about God. The way he deals with sinners tells us about him. The way he deals with the church and the way he's going to deal with the culmination of human history tells us about him. And it's God that we're obsessed with. Yeah. And knowing that God will keep his promises, which he made to Israel, means he will keep his promises, which he made to me inside the church. We can trust him. His word doesn't fail. And his words are not empty. They don't return to him empty. They don't go forth to us as empty words. They're filled with life, filled with discernment and perception and revelation. And his word is the most amazing treasure, physical treasure that he has left us. So inside this treasure of his word, we find the truth that he has provided for our salvation. He has sent the Son to take our imputed sin, to hang on the cross, to die, to experience the wrath of God as he hung there between heaven and the grave, and died and was buried, and on the third day rose again and broke the curse of death. And when we trust him, when we repent of our sin and admit that we need a Savior and trust his finished atonement, we are born again and adopted of God All heaven and earth is ours in Christ, and you can know this too in Christ. The last couple of weeks, we've taken a break from our study in Revelation, and we will be getting back to it. But before we do, we're going to remind ourselves of what we learned in the book of Daniel, beginning with chapter 2, and the week following, we'll look at Daniel chapter 7. So please join us next week. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Former Adventist Podcast. You may email us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Former Adventist Podcast is a ministry of Life Assurance Ministries. For more information, weekly articles, videos, and a donation link, go to our website at proclamationmagazine.com. Oh.